apologies to those of you squeamish listeners out there who don't want to hear about you know my cold symptoms but they might not we'll find out how good they are and then we'll see whether or not the show started yet <laughs> that's that's a good point what do you make of this uh, like ftc finding facebook periodically for <laughs> being facebook well in my understanding the ftc is finding facebook because a few years ago they made a deal with facebook uh, there was like a settlement for some previous evil behavior uh, or at least illegal behavior or at least considered to be illegal behavior. Uh, and Facebook agreed to certain terms and then has repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again violated those terms. I guess so, my question is like, you know. what is the origin law that they violated? Like I, my sense that is the FTC goes around, tries to protect consumers, but like the law, like the law doesn't just say like, don't be creepy with people's information. Like there's got to be some, or maybe it's not. It's just like, eh, it's got to be stopping creepy. Is there an actual? <laughs> uh, I think there are like specific creepiness laws or like, you know, the FTC is always, I mean, you know, they regulate these things in a sort of, it's almost like a, a consumer protection agency in some level, right? Ah, uh, I just got it now. It's the, the, the stick they often go after people with is the one that they originally got Facebook with, which is, false advertising that they will keep your information private right yeah yeah, yeah. no no no. false advertising so f- false advertising is one of the big ones you know i think in general anti anti-competitive business practices coercive business practices uh trust antitrust issues and then yeah sort of like unfair or counterfactual but counterfactual is not the right word. Uh, deceptive business practices. Sure. is like a big one. If you're misleading, you know, if, if, if the FTC doesn't care if you, what Facebook does with your data, as long as they tell you. Right. Yeah. And tell you in a way that you're ever going to see. Right. Because I'm sure somewhere Facebook has some sort of draconian terms of service that is evil and awful. Have you ever like read an entire privacy policy? Yes. Yeah. Was it was it your work's privacy policy? Because they're like, <laughs> you have to read this and click this box to promise that you're going to at least try and uphold it? No. I feel like it, at one point there were some that were sort of lauded for being better that I read. And also sort of like, I, I, I mean, I'm probably like on the far edge of like people who care about this sort of stuff. So we could do a whole episode or a whole segment about how I recently installed Little Snitch. But that might be veering out of our uh, target, you know, topic list. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We tried not to talk about programming. Little Snitch is a thing that that listens on your computer for what apps try to talk to what things in the cloud and then tells you. It says, hey, uh, this thing's trying to talk to scam.ru. Do you, uh, did you expect <laughs> that? Is that what you want? Does that sound good to you? Uh, yeah, basically. So in my case, uh, I installed it because uh, I had made the decision. I have Facebook and Instagram accounts, but I had made the decision that I wasn't going to use them on my uh, desktop machine i was only going to use them on ios where they're sandboxed and uh but i was looking through my cookies one day and i noticed that even though i do not i'm not logged into facebook or instagram on my uh home computer i still have cookies from both huh and and so i was like where what so i kept deleting them i was like maybe that's old so i just like kept deleting them and then i would check a couple days later they'd be back mm. so i was like okay what mm. what's going on here so i installed little snitch and what i determined which is probably not a surprise to anyone who follows this stuff more closely than you and i do is that like every website that has a facebook like button puts something on your computer yeah yeah and so i was just like i don't want that so i just disabled my computer from talking to facebook or instagram yeah it's interesting definitely this consolidation privacy thing as we become more and more aware and not just notice but also they get better and better about you know i search a camp pillow because i'm on my way to the store to buy it and then um, when I come back with it, I'm like, oh, look what I got. And my wife's like, oh, yeah, this thing that I just saw on Facebook 10 minutes ago. That's what you bought, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's the one that you've just been shown. Wow. Well, here it is now. I guess you weren't that is wild. surprised or curious about the thing that I just bought because the internet <laughs> was like, hey, you share the same IP address. We know on Facebook that you're married. Yeah, it is crazy. The amount, I mean, it, you know, uh, people have pointed out that it, you, you can try to hide this stuff from them and it it, it doesn't. It's it's basically impossible. You can definitely fight against it, but yeah, to completely stop it. Yeah, you can slow it down or you can uh, intentionally confuse it or various things. But at the end of the day, it's uh, they know a lot about you. But I mean, the thing that's often people see this kind of thing with the camp pillow and they think, oh, they must be listening to me. But just this, I searched something on the website 
of that company. And then they know my IP address and they know her IP address. So they know we live at the same place, basically. And so, yeah, there you go. Like, that's pretty hard to stop. Yeah, Facebook does not need to listen to you. No. Like, that's that's the point. It's like, honestly, I think it's scarier. It's like, they don't need to do anything like that. They can just uh, tell. Uh, and it's not even that they know you that well. It's just that they have data on so many people that uh, that they can run these machine learning algorithms and other kinds of algorithms that, <laughs> that, honestly, sometimes people don't even know how they work, that can figure out these connections, even when they're not obvious. I mean, it's crazy. Like, you read articles about, like, the, the, the number of things you need to tell one of these sites before they know, like, a shocking amount of facts about you. It's what fonts you have installed. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some follow-up, as has become the tradition. In episode six, uh, I posited, so it's not last episode, I posited an origin theory for yogurt. Uh, people storing milk in animal, animal bladder, carrying it across the desert. Um, kind of as a joke. I thought it was a joke at the time. Yeah, it was, it was mostly joking, but something else that was kind of rattling around in my brain. Well, it turns out I look into it a little bit more because in listening to that, I'm like, what, what really is the origin of yeah, yogurt? As you do. As I do. Um, and it turns out that yogurt is about 6,000 years old. So the inventor did not, <laughs> as far as we know, write an in-depth medium post about the incredible journey of its creation. But the speculation is that the precursor to yogurt uh, was actually created roughly in that kind of way, which is... You know, you got some milk, you're going to store it in an animal stomach or other sort of uh, organic container, uh, and that uh, that curdles the milk and makes it last longer. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe that's something we should do intentionally. That was like that kind of proto-yogurt. But modern yogurt, or yogurt as we know it now, takes really specific bacteria, like really, I think two actually specific bacteria have to be in the milk, certain times, certain temperature, uh, and that just doesn't hang out in animal bladders. So the best current guess of how it came to be is that once upon a time, some milk-producing animals were happily grazing in a field, and they brushed their udders against plants that had just the right bacteria on it, and then when people milk uh, those animals, the bacteria and the milk goes into a milk pail. And if it's warm enough out, it starts to turn into yogurt. So that's the the actual uh, origin story of actual yogurt as speculated by people about what may have happened 6,000 years ago. It, it's completely wild the way that these things happened. I also like to point out that in the in your notes for this, you spelled yogurt in two different ways, befitting your uh, <laughs> or, origin in Canada. <laughs> but I don't think I got the like the French, like Y-O-G-O-U-O-U-R-U-T no. or whatever. Just a very strange one. <laughs> I should try using that more. Technically, it's valid. Yeah. Well, yeah, you should. Just see how people react. Uh, Andy Lum uh, wrote in to point out that in a previous episode of the show, an earlier one, we praised both Moana and Lin-Manuel Miranda in the same episode without pointing out the fun fact that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote much of the Moana soundtrack and even sings in one of the songs. So if you like Hamilton, you should probably check out Disney movie Moana. Yes, and you could also check out Mary Poppins, but I wouldn't recommend it. Was he involved in that? Yeah, he's he's in that. Oh, I don't know. I the new know one. That. Yeah, but it's it's a uh, questionable. I really didn't like it, but that that's gonna you know I'm I'm prepared for my hate mail. I think Mary Poppins Returns was awful. Did you? Is it because you but, really liked the previous one and didn't live up to it, or if you're like we don't need Mary Poppins anymore? The world, world can no, no, on. I love the first one. Yeah, no, no, I love the first one. I think that was the problem. Th- that's <laughs> always important context with a sequel or remake. Is that how people feel about the old one makes a huge difference often about how they feel about the the remake. Hundred percent. So uh, I have some feedback, uh, some follow up for you, my friend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is that uh, I looked into my compost disposal. Yes. <laughs> because i was well it was not working and uh and i and you're right it's like it's much less scary than i thought it would be and uh definitely more of a grinding thing mm-hmm. like you know not really i always thought there were like sharp knives in there which there are not yeah you think of it as a blender yeah no i exactly i thought of it as a blender very much not uh and uh yeah so i feel like i've I feel like this show has helped me become closer with my uh with my compost disposal Awesome. Well, that is our number. That's our founding goal. <laughs> uh, also, uh, a friend of the show, Lyle Troxel, who uh, I believe had some follow up for us last time, um, sent me a, his own method of stud finding, which I don't know if you've uh, thought of or seen. He sent me a video of it. I'll try to figure out someplace I can put that so we can put it in the show notes. But he uh, he takes little magnets and moves them around on the wall 
until he finds a stud and until he finds like the next stud and then he can measure like what the distance is and know, you know, what the, what the distance between them is going to be. It's pretty cool. So the magnet like magnetizes to the nails in the wall is the idea. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, I guess he finds those specific points in the wall. Yeah. Where the stud is nailed in, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. That seems like a very Zen way to do it. it it's cool. It, it looks, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, uh, down to slowly collect all ways of finding studs in a wall that are not <laughs> the stud finder that just randomly beeps and doesn't don't let them rip you off don't buy that it's a it's a hoax did i mention <laughs> in someone's i don't know if this went into a previous follow-up or not um but somebody mentioned when we were complaining about stud finders that you can for like a lot of money get a really kick-ass stud finder that works super well and like is super accurate and can tell the difference between different kind of things behind the wall so that's apparently also an option Oh, well, I did not. I don't believe that was mentioned before. And it, as always, there is a ridiculous upgrade if you should choose. Yes, the Rolls Royce of stud finders will have to the expense it on the company account. <laughs> Fun fact industries. Final feedback from me. Uh, this one actually comes from our uh, German correspondent, <laughs> aka my wife. We've got people on the ground. We do. Who let me know that, uh, that, that the lemonade brand I mentioned. Uh, that was not being allowed to uh, market their lemonade as lemonade because they didn't have enough sugar in it. Um, uh, posted on their website that they that they won their case uh, and that uh, they will be allowed to. Uh, not only will they be allowed to sell their lemonade as lemonade, even though it has just very very slightly less sugar. I, I think it's hilarious, by the way, that we're quibbling over seven or six grams of sugar. I don't know that there's a big difference there, but. Um, uh, not only will they be allowed to sell their sugar, but this has started a larger conversation in Germany, apparently, about sort of ridiculous uh, food laws. And uh, and and now the the uh, minister for Hamburg is 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 planning to take this to the wider uh, uh, German government and try to get things changed. Nice. So there you go. Right, so we're making a difference in the world. They heard our show and they decided, right. <laughs> they translated. Nice it. to see the well. Actually, so. It's possible because lemon the lemonade people did say that the that the you know media reaction was what got them the win. So I'm I think we could take the credit, right? And they're probably referring to this show. Yeah, I think we could take credit. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad we're making the world better one one fact at a time. One fact at a time, exactly. That's what we're here for. So I'm going to start with a small fun fact. Please, yeah. Often going to launch into a big thing that's some research. This is just a cool thing that people might know of. So in the podcast app Castro, if you're a user of that or it's something you're curious about um, trying, um, you can actually pre-skip chapters. So podcasts, a lot of podcasts now have chapters. Uh, ours has too many because i got a little silly with it and put 10 one, every time we change topics which there just was probably four chapters to five chapters gone by um but then for our facts as well you're welcome everybody yeah the the, the dedication to the craft um that uh in podcast apps nowadays you can typically skip to the next chapter and you can often see uh in most of them you can see a list of the chapters you can say uh, oh i'm actually looking for this particular uh part of the conversation or i want to skip to this or whatever um but uh, in castro they have recently added a feature where you can actually open up the drawer and you can uncheck certain chapters and you can just already see like you know what I've heard enough about garbage disposals. I do not need to hear another. Impossible, sir. <laughs> Which is impossible. That's like a just it's a joke example. Yeah. Okay. All right. But like there might be something that you really were are sick of, and then sure, you could uncheck sure. that before uh, it comes up. So I just thought that's kind of a, a fun fact, like a clever uh, feature in uh, a cool app. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I I mean, you know, the obvious, obviously, the <laughs> the obvious, obviously, is that people will use it to uncheck uh, ads. I would never do that. <laughs> I, but I wanted, to, I wanted to say that I really appreciate the podcasts that do make chapters for their ads um, and do the thing where uh, most of the ad read is in the chapter, but there's a little bit before and a little bit after. So you still get like the kind of crucial details. I think uh, ATP does this especially well. Um, but uh, I really appreciate that. And it does sort of inspire me to at least listen to your ad read the first time the sponsor comes around. Uh, I, I may skip it after that, but even then I will hear the little bit that you, that you say, giving me the, the thing. And that little bit has been enough sometimes for me to actually go back and listen to the whole thing. If it turns out it's something I'm interested in. So I think that's a very nice way to respect your listeners. Yeah. And it's a really good balance of, you know, initially getting the idea of knowing what Squarespace is, is important the first time. And then after that, it's just making sure it's still in your brain. And so yeah. once you know what it is, then having that little five second reminder, like, oh yeah, that thing. And so if somebody in your family is like, hey, I need to make a website, then it's in your brain from having that little blurb. For sure, I would suggest uh, Squarespace. That is so in my brain. Uh, so uh, that's a nice one. I have a, a a bigger fact for you. 
Hit me. Okay. So, fun fact. The country that has the biggest Cinco de Mayo celebration <laughs> is the United States of America. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I, first of all, do you celebrate it in Canada? Do you know? Do you generally know what Cinco de Mayo, like, that it exists, I'm that it's a thing? I'm pretty sure it's the 5th of May. <laughs> and that's what the name yeah. means. Yeah. That's my main. Is it associated with Day of the Dead? No. No. Okay. (laughs) So the the Day of the Dead happens around Halloween time. (laughs) Yeah. Not a ton of Mexican culture makes it up. We've got, you know, little bits here and there, but no. Learn me about Cinco de Mayo. Okay. So uh, in the USA, uh, every May 5th, we celebrate a non-official holiday. This is not a government holiday. Uh, Cinco de Mayo, which as you pointed out, it translates to the 5th of May. Uh, and uh, and the, for those of you around the world who don't know, it's it's basically a drinking holiday in the United States, um, similar to St. Patrick's Day, if you're f- familiar with that one. We do have that, definitely. Right. But celebrating sort of Mexican heritage and uh, culture. But uh, what I found interesting and what I wanted to look into was that, as far as I can tell, almost no one in this country, including me, uh, knows what Cinco de Mayo is actually celebrating. Like, what is the point of it? Uh, and also, is this a thing that is it big in Mexico? Is this a, is it bigger in Mexico? Because you know, I know that a St. Patrick's Day sometimes is bigger in Boston than it is in Ireland. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to kind of look into it. So, okay. So the first question is, what is Cinco de Mayo a celebration of? <laughs> and uh, and it turns out that it's a celebration of the Mexican army's victory over the French Empire at the Battle of Puebla on May fifth, eighteen sixty two. So there you see why it's on may 5th and uh uh, one important note this is not the same thing as mexican independence day which uh celebrates a completely different event uh called the cry of dolores which happened on september 16th 1810 and was the beginning of mexican independence from spain the battle of puebla was a victory of by the mexican army over napoleon iii tying us into last week's napoleon fact um as part of the war where he attempted to create the Second Mexican Empire and uh, take French control of Latin America. And Napoleon the Third attacked Mexico. Yeah, he sure did. I feel like I should have known that. And the thing is that while Mexico did in fact win the Battle of Puebla on uh, May fifth, eighteen sixty two, they lost that war. A year later, the French defeated the Mexican army, captured Mexico City, and installed Emperor Maximilian the First as the ruler of Mexico. Now that empire didn't last that long about three years i think and, and then mexico uh finally kicked out the french so first s- sub fact uh yes for the french invaded mexico and won and there was a, a french empire in mexico and it didn't last that long but it was real so okay <laughs> this isn't even the mainline fact so france no. in in the 1800s yes like mid 1800s like most of late, the way late, mid, yeah, mid, mid yeah. To, like most of the way to like world war one decided you know what we should do we should take over mexico and they briefly did yeah okay and then (laughs) cinco de mayo is americans celebrating a successful battle in that lost war yes uh i'll I'll probably do a whole other fact on maximilian the first one of these days because he's a very interesting guy he was uh, he was the younger brother of the austrian emperor franz josef uh, for one thing um but anyway so yeah so that is what we're celebrating so okay uh, my next question after that, learning that, was what does that have to do with the United States? <laughs> right? And uh, so as far as I, I've been able to determine, the American holiday first it appears in, in sort of pre or uh, uh, pre-consciousness in, around 1863 uh, in California when uh, Mexican miners who were happy with the goings-on of the Mexican resistance to the French sort of spontaneously fired rifles and fireworks and and sang patriotic songs and things. But it didn't really take any real form until the 1940s uh, with the rise of the Chicano movement and uh, began to sort of lightly spread out of California in the 50s and 60s, but mainly to like neighboring states with sort of large uh, Mexican populations like Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, that kind of area. Uh, But it really took off in the 1980s when the beer companies saw an opportunity to make more money Mm. and uh, and started heavily promoting it as a way to uh, drum up business. And, uh, and in fact, it, by 2013, uh, according to Nielsen, more than $600 million worth of beer was purchased for Cinco de Mayo, which is more than for the Super Bowl or St. Patrick's Day. Uh, and, uh, and in 2005, uh, the United States Congress issued a joint resolution calling on the president uh, to issue a proclamation calling out the people of the United States to observe Cinco de Mayo <laughs> with, quote unquote, appropriate ceremonies and activities. 
So uh, this very important beer holiday created <laughs> exactly. mostly by the beer companies. Mostly by the beer companies. Only like thirty years ago. Only like thirty years ago. Okay. So, but what about in Mexico? So that's yes. kind of the final piece of this puzzle. Uh, it is not a national holiday in Mexico. Uh, it is not a big deal in most of Mexico. Uh, public schools are generally closed, but that's about the extent of it. Uh, in the state of Puebla, which is where that battle, remember, was fought, the Battle of Puebla, uh, it is a holiday, as well as in the neighboring state of Veracruz, but there's basically no major celebrations uh, in Mexico, and it's it's basically a kind of a forgotten, very minor holiday throughout most of uh, Mexico. Which seems roughly appropriate to the importance of that particular battle. Agreed, yeah. Uh, and, and my sort of final adjacent fact that I learned as I was doing this that I just wanted to share with you, uh, is that apparently there is a skydiving club near Vancouver who hold a Cinco de Mayo skydiving event. So, uh, you know, May's coming up. If you've ever been interested in skydiving, uh, that might be a good time to give it a try. Well, that would be an appropriate celebration or observance of this I think as holiday. long as you drink uh, some sort of poor, you know, poorly crafted, you know, cheap American beer as you go down, like get some like Bud Light or something. I've never been skydiving, but I'm pretty sure they they encourage you to get drunk before they, you do it. You know, it might help actually. <laughs> they want they want you to just be really inebriated, uh, yeah, and, and impaired. Yeah. So 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 one of my so this holiday that we celebrate with with some amount of vigor, you know, in especially here in in California, but all over the United States, uh, basically not a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but I do like the idea of there being a, a holiday that. That celebrates uh, Mexican American culture. I, I personally, I'm a little more fond of of Day of the Dead. Uh, sure, Cinco de Mayo kind of leans too heavily for me on the like on the drinking side, and not a heavily enough on the appreciation side. Um, also, I bet if we asked a hundred people on the street of, of San Francisco, zero, unless one of them was me, would have any idea <laughs> what this was about. I do have a soft spot though for these. I mean, St. Patrick's Day and Cinco de Mayo are obviously not fully deeply thoughtful celebrations of the culture that they're based on <laughs> but i'd like the at least the you idea <laughs> of having holidays where different cultures you know observe and and think about each other and agreed yeah that interconnected sort of global thing makes me happy in theory but then if the application is just that they're giant beer holidays then maybe we're we're missing an opportunity there yeah, I might make this the start of a series on what do American holidays actually represent, because I'm guessing, just from having done no research except this, that a shockingly high number of American holidays are, insert industry here, wanted to make more money. Um, leading into my next one, yeah, what would you call, uh, you personally, Arik, Me. what would you call uh, the large predator cat that is native to North America. It's about the size of an, an adult human uh, and that, that lives in mountainous regions. What would you call that? What word would you use? You know, do you know the animal I'm talking about? I, I do. And I, the thing is, I don't know. You don't know what you would call it? <laughs> no. Can you think of any names that it is? I, could... I, I can. I, you know, a mountain lion. Yeah. Or a uh, cougar. Right. I've heard that. I, I, I think mount, I think I would say mountain lion. You think you call it mountain lion? I think so. I probably would have called it the mountain lion too. Um, but just in the last uh, probably month or two weeks, maybe more like, uh, our two-year-old has become obsessed with cougars. Um, or really? as she pronounces it, because we're from Vancouver, uh, she calls them couvers. Coover. Okay, that's my favorite new thing. Yeah, couvers. Yeah, and she wants to know about couvers and want to want to hear a story about a couver, or or wants to hear what would happen if there was a couver, if a couver came into the house. Uh, she's super anxious about it. She's kind of obsessed with couvers. I need to clarify something here. When she says "want to hear a story about a couver," is she asking you if you want to hear a story about a cougar, or is she asking you to tell her a story about a cougar? She's asking me to make up a story about a cougar and tell it to her. Okay, so that's her way of saying she doesn't say I. No. It's it's I yes. want yes to hear a story about a cougar. Okay, yeah, and it ends in a question mark because she's asking me and asking me to make up a story off the top of my head. She knows it's a tall ask, but she likes it so much that right. And she doesn't live in a region of the United States where every sentence ends in a question no, mark. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> with those places do exist. Um, so I because she's always asking me to talk about them, uh, I end up having to do a little bit of research because yeah. you know you don't want to give her incorrect information. Yeah, good daddy. Yeah, well, most parents I don't know if would follow 
through that line, but I think the, everyone knows listening to the show that you and I both are honesty is the number one thing for us with the facts we give to everyone. So, so I, I learned a couple of fun facts about cougars. Yeah, sure. I, I'm super So excited. first one, fun fact, a cougar, a mountain lion, and a puma are the same animal, which is something that I didn't know. I knew mountain lion and cougar were the same, which not, I don't think everyone knows that, but then a puma is also that same thing. A cougar, a mountain lion, and a puma. That's all the same okay. animal, just different names for it. And this is okay. just three of the apparently 40 names that it gets referred to by uh, in, in North America, which gives it the Guinness World Record for now animal with the most names in English. Wow. Yeah. So apparently catamount is one. I haven't heard that one. Mountain screamer, painter, ghost cat. Nope. Yeah, they're like regional. Yeah. Um, in Florida, they call them Florida Panthers, which is why the NHL team Florida Panthers has oh. a logo that looks like a cougar and not a panther because a Florida Panther is a cougar. That's like the most Florida thing I've ever heard. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, I, I, they are sometimes referred to by people as wildcats, even though officially a wildcat is a different thing that's like not even in North America. Okay, um, But if someone in North America says they saw a wildcat, they may mean... So it's a North American wildcat. Yeah. I mean, it is a wild space cat. <laughs> it is definitely that yes. uh, and in canada they have a beer yeah. called wildcat that has a cougar on the on the can no nah, that's good enough for me yeah that's science <laughs> that's science um and so it was important <laughs> because she's asking what would happen if there was a cougar or should we visit a cougar or you know these kind of things and you know we're in the forest and she's like kind of asking or she wants me to pick her up because she's wondering if there's a cougar and so i'm telling her about oh, wh- where okay. they live and they live in the mountains and stuff like that um but the thing that i thought was interesting and just kind of maybe interest worth sharing is what to do if you see a cougar that is very helpful or a puma or a mountain lion or a florida panther or a mountain screamer <laughs> or a catamount i think that's my favorite so the safety precautions are are actually really similar to bears um if you have lived anywhere i think my assumption would be probably more likely people have encountered bear safety invo because they're more scary on people's minds so if you're anywhere even remotely close to you know the rockies people might be like oh what do you do if there's a bear um which is things yeah. like don't get near them uh they're generally not aggressive um by default it's like black bears which is a typical bear you'd see generally not aggressive um unless there's mm. cubs and you're in between then and their cubs and then they will be aggressive sure. to try to you know keep their children safe obviously yeah. uh, but generally you face them back away slowly try to be large get your arms out uh shout at them um as he says go away coover um that's what her <laughs> that's what she, she practices um oh. uh, and then if they come at you that fighting back like hitting them in the nose like just kind of just uh-huh. being aggressive back at them will generally seems like a bad idea no it's a good idea that's what you want to do okay punch a cougar in the nose punch a cougar in the nose punch a bear in the nose okay. uh that's generally what you know grizzly bear you're gonna lose but for, for a black bear or cougar they'll i mean you probably won't see a, a grizzly bear anyway um but a cougar or, or a black bear you know just fighting back being loud being noisy being like i i would be annoying to fight you know right you're trying to convince them this is not worth bothering you ah i see it, it's like it's like uh yeah, it's like with your with your with your security system in your house, where you're like, I mean, this isn't really stopping you, but it's gonna make it harder. Why don't you just go pick on someone who's easier to to take down? Yes, exactly. And for like a cougar and a and a bear, don't see you naturally as food. Ah, okay, that's good to know. So if they're gutting up into your face, it's either like they their cubs are around and they think maybe the thing to do is to try to attack you. Maybe they're just being opportunistic or they're really hungry, but generally don't they don't want to fight you. And so if you give them any reason not to, which they normally won't do anyway, and then just kind of back away slowly, then um, then generally that's gonna keep you safe like the vast majority of encounters in between people and, and, and mountain lions and catamounts uh are are non-violent um but there is one uh, there's a couple key differences in between uh if you encounter a bear and you encounter a cougar okay for cougar don't play dead okay uh that, that can work with bears sometimes because cougar uh, bears are actually more chill than cougars so the bear if you play dead will generally be like okay well whatever this is boring um but uh if you play dead with a cougar it may be like hmm that neck looks really biteable Ah, uh, yeah now you look like the gazelle that's fallen down yes then yeah. it might be like oh maybe you are food um and if uh mm. if you have any small kids then pick them up I mean, that seems like a, a no-brainer. Sure. With a 
Coover around. Sure. But you might, like if I had a, like if there's a bear around, that I might be inclined to yeah. get in between the bear and my kid. Oh, sure. Um, and be like, yeah. hey, bear, like back off or like, okay, Ellie, we're going to walk backwards or something like that, which, yeah, I don't know I'm, how, <laughs> this is my, the, <laughs> off the top of my head, you know, but I mean, I read a little bit about it. Hey, Ellie, we're going to walk backwards. Seems like it would not be a successful strategy. Walking backwards? No, you want to walk backwards. You want... No, I, but telling your your very small child to walk yeah, backwards. my kids knew too young to do that i would obviously pick her up yes. if i saw a bear but um yeah. for kids generally uh bears aren't going to leave them alone um but okay. uh, typically uh, but a cougar might won't see an adult person as potentially food but a hungry cougar might be like oh that kid looks kind of biteable um so but if you pick them up then suddenly you're a big one bigger animal and they're like okay goodbye so I would guess that uh, everything you're saying is variable depending on how hungry the cougar is. This is mostly only matters if the cougar is like either super hungry, habituated to humans, or it okay. is uh, trying to defend its cubs. Because if it's not one of those things, okay. it will not even get close to you probably. Like it will, it, the cougar knows where you are way before you know where it is. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, and so if you are in a circumstance where you've seen the cougar, it's probably stocked up to you and you're like, <laughs> oh. Hey, there's a cougar here. Um, yeah, a satiated cougar like was 30 miles away from you or some some amount of distance. Yes, and it, and it heard you like step on a branch and then yeah, yeah, it was like hmm, yeah. not going over yeah. there. Don't don't need to get involved with that. So this is a this is a cougar who is is desperate to begin yes. with. Yes, yeah, and that's when yeah. you might need I think to, that's good to, know. to kind of be it. But in general, like it's quite rare for someone to to be fatally injured in a cougar encounter because mm. generally they want to leave people around but but it's just nice to know especially uh if you're going to be in the mountains yeah in the uh in the rockies or something like that or vancouver island which is relatively nearby or if you need to tell your child a story or if you want to tell an accurate story to your child of what to do um if uh if you see a cougar so I, let me ask you this, and I don't know if you know the answer, but I know that when you are camping, uh, I've been camping a lot, you want you want to keep your food away from bears that you will sometimes you know hoist it up into a tree. Yeah. Uh, do cougars go for human food? I would expect that they probably do, but I've never heard. Um, I mean, anytime I've been camping, it's been more like bear country than cougar country warnings. Sure. And maybe that's just because the bear country supersedes the cougar warning. <laughs> it's like a code red yeah. for code, code yellow um so I, yeah. I but i believe that cougars mostly just eat meat um whereas like a black bear actually more eats random nuts and berries and stuff so my ah, guess okay. is that so as long as you don't have raw steaks yeah if you have a raw steak leaving sitting out but i think cougars are not expecting to find food and then eat it they're expecting you to catch food mm. and eat it so i think they're less gotcha. of a problem with the scavenging less foraging yeah okay that makes sense yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's garbage eating cougars, just like there's garbage eating any other animal that's anywhere close to a city. Sometimes we'll be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. you're putting free food out. Mm, I'm hungry. Whatever. It's not, you know, it's not ideal. It's not what I'm looking for, but I'll mm-hmm. eat it. Yeah. So what, uh, and then my other question for you is, can you give us some insight into the kinds of stories you're making up about these cougars? <laughs> uh, a lot I'm, of the, one thing that I try to do, because she's always asking me to tell her stories, is make them different each time. So they do vary. But uh, that is a high bar, my friend. Well, the bar is not because if she would be happy to hear the same story over and over again. It's because I will get bored um, and just sick <laughs> of telling the same story over again. Um, but when I try to, when I tell one of the like made up stories, I do the Mad Libs thing. So it's like once upon a time there was an animal named blank, and then I just pause or I say, "Now, what was the animal's name?" And like she fills in. Oh, so she will do that for you. She'll give you the name. Yeah, exactly. And she like fills in the things, and then I'll be like, "Okay." And then uh, she decided that she wanted to go get some food. What did she want? Like, oh, she wanted ice cream. Oh, okay. And then and so like it's this mad libs. (laughs) And then I I try to do like beginning, middle, and end, and then do the uh-huh. traditional, like, the storytelling thing. Fun fact, if you're trying to make a good story, an easy approach is that each thing should be paired to the previous thing by either a f- uh, therefore or a but. So, like, either the previous thing leads to the next thing, the previous thing causes the next thing, or the 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 next thing is a reversal of fortune. So you try to, like, oh, this happened, so that causes this, but then there's a reversal of fortune, but then that causes this, and there's a reversal of fortune. So you kind of, like, flip back and forth, and then you just kind of follow Mad Libs autocomplete, basically, until until <laughs> I get tired of the story, telling the story, and then every story ends with the the characters getting tired and, and going for a nap. Really? 
Yeah. So they, they don't necessarily get with, not every story finishes with them. Like, you know, you're creating the, this is the power of myth. This is some Joseph Campbell <laughs> stuff. Like you're creating this journey and then they, <laughs> they're just like, you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm going to take it. Down. Normally they have succeeded <laughs> on at least like one or two of their, their goals. Ah, okay. They have an agenda list. They haven't maybe gotten everything, but they've gotten some stuff. Yeah. They've at least gotten some of the stuff and like often it's like I'm trying, they're trying to get a thing. And so there's a couple obstacles in the way, but then they solve those obstacles uh-huh. and then they get the thing. But then uh, Ellie starts saying like, like, and they decided to go to Disneyland. Uh, and then, and then they wanted to find the data cougar. Like she adds things and then not all of those the, get accomplished. The data cougar? Well, of course, I mean, there's the baby cougar and the mama cougar and the data cougar. Oh, the dada cougar. I thought you were saying data in a Canadian oh, way. Oh, no, no. I was like, what? She's, wow. The abstract <laughs> yeah, I mean, I concept. She's a, a, an engineer's daughter. but Binary wow. formulation of a cougar. Yeah. Like, what is she? <laughs> um, the data cougar. You're teaching her about hackers, <laughs> you know, at a very young age. Uh, so I have a small fact for you. Okay. What's that? All right. So fun fact. A surprising, to me anyway, number of people throughout history have believed that they were made out of glass. Made out of glass? Made out of glass. That's, I would expect that number to be super, super low. <laughs> no. So, uh, so this comes from the history of mental illness department. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but from the 15th to the 17th century, roughly, there were like a lot of people, mostly very rich, uh, who believed that they were made out of glass. Uh, it, it, is a, it is not a common uh, uh, illness today. It, it does still happen, uh, very rarely. But it was at one time like like kind of well known and like talked about, and it, it kind of went away when glass became more widely available, and right. I think that's kind of interesting. Huh. Uh, the The most famous sufferer probably was was Charles the Sixth, King of France, who uh, ruled from thirteen eighty to fourteen twenty two. He had like a lot of mental problems. Uh, this was not the only one, but he would get in these moods where he would refuse to let people touch him because he was afraid they would break him. And he had special clothes made that were reinforced with iron to make sure that as he moved around, he wouldn't shatter. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And he like wouldn't like he was worried he was going to sit on something. That just makes me think of being in this person's court and like needing to follow along with their rules and what they're asking you to do and why. Yeah. And you're like, they're, it's like I need this thing made out of iron. And you're like, uh, sir, that would be incredibly uncomfortable and impractical and, and challenging to make. It's like, I, I won't. I need it to not shatter. <laughs> and then you just have to be like okay because you know he's just gonna be off with your head if until until someone's like okay yes sir iron clothes coming right up that is that is the thing i mean we, we could we should probably do more uh facts about sort of crazy rulers because th- that is sort of the problem with a, a divinely ordained uh feudal lord is that if they are crazy you just have to go along with the crazy person for a, a pretty long time well that's the problem with a divinely appointed uh like ceo of like a privately held company too like you get that you yeah, yeah. Any any leader who you can't get rid of who might be a crazy yeah. person. Uh, one of the other ones I found uh, uh, sort of interesting was um, uh, Princess Alexandra Amelia of Bavaria, who was convinced that she had swallowed a glass grand piano as a child, <laughs> and somehow that had turned her into glass. Okay. And uh, she also took care with her movements to avoid breaking as she would walk mm-hmm. around. I think this might, might also be uh, restricted to people who have such pampered lives that they can go around and be like <laughs> i've never had exerted myself enough that if i was made out of glass i wouldn't have have cracked yeah it. yeah yeah no no for sure as i said it was it was very very rich people uh but it was like you know we're talking about for like 300 years they were like you know kind of a lot of people hmm. who thought this i find shared delusions kind of interesting and that's not quite shared delusion but like it makes me kind of feel it kind of reminds me of that like certain pathways of people's minds, like um, or 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 common recurring ones. Like one is the cross cultural thing, where uh, certain people with certain uh, mental health challenges will feel like that the uh, government is watching them, regardless of what government means in their culture. Sure. And so either yeah. that's the tribal leaders are watching you, or the FBI is watching you, or the KGB is watching you, um, which obviously also happens increasingly really. But like these are people who just instinctually have this kind of deep seated something in their psyche and and evolution makes you feel like you're being watched um and that uh that's something that cuts across all these different unrelated cultures so it's kind of interesting yeah there are there are only like two by the way modern uh psychiatric institution reports of this of this being a problem nowadays mm. but i did want to mention one sort of uh, associated thing 
which was that um, supposedly, and this is somewhat a little bit legendary, I don't know exactly how true it is, but supposedly Tchaikovsky, the uh, uh, composer, believed that if he that if he that he his head would fall off while conducting if he didn't hold his chin but only while conducting yeah it's because he's just just kind of headbanging so hard or yeah i don't know he like wouldn't conduct because he was like i'm i'm so i'm tormented by my inability that i that I, my head might fall off huh which is you know he eventually got I mean, over it actually <laughs> yeah but i mean i'd be tormented too if i thought my head was gonna fall off it's- yeah, I mean, but so all of this kind of stuff, these these sort of, uh, and by the way, this one, this one, the Wikipedia page for this is called Glass Delusion, which I think is a great, mm-hmm. a great name. But uh, it 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 just, it, I find it fascinating. These things, huh. yeah, just kind of, yeah, I find that kind of stuff fascinating too. Yeah. All right, so this is this is a linguistics fact. So fun fact: some sounds that we make in everyday language. Do not require your voice or vocal cords. It's very true. Which I didn't had never thought of until this came up in some discussion of some unrelated thing, which is this thing about how it seemed like Grover was swearing in a Sesame Street episode. I'm not sure if you saw that because <laughs> he was oh. so he's speaking so quickly that it, the sounds were kind of uh, merging sure. together, and there was this breakdown by uh, a, um, a linguistics expert about why. It, yeah, it's the Teletubby happened. problem. Yeah. And so they, uh, and, and in that they're talking about like, oh, well, and this is a, this, um, sound because it doesn't use your vocal cords can actually sound also like this other sound. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Spoken words that don't use your vocal cords. Um, and so almost all sounds do like the vast majority of sounds we make use your vocal cords and, uh, all vowels do. And that's part of why you need to have vowels in your words so that there's some actual, you know, <laughs> there's some vocal cords going on while you're making your words. Um, but voiceless uh, consonants exist and there's a, f- a handful of them and if you feel your neck when you're making different sounds you can actually just feel the vibration stop if you make like an uh, f, like an f sound or a k k p s or sh like s or sh those are just all in up in your mouth and not actually vibrating in your neck at all and so there's like six or seven of those in in english just a kind of little subset of voiceless uh sounds um that don't actually require your vocal cords at all. And so there are a couple of things that follow from that. One is that when people are sneaking around, the sounds that they make to each other are voiceless, like shh or hey, psst, psst. Like those are those really quiet sounds. Those are the, those are voiceless sounds. They don't have any bass to them because they're all in your mouth, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and the other is that, uh, of course, I'm then on a Wikipedia vortex uh, reading about <laughs> voiceless sounds and different languages because they're like, well, in English, there's these ones and in other ones, there's more or less. Um, but that uh, I came across this thing that I've, have you seen before, uh, clicks as used in language? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is c- really cool. Um, yeah. The, uh, the language uh, used in Black Panther. Yes. Uh, which comes from a certain part of South Africa. Uh, and is called, I can't do the click, but it's called click hosha, ex hosha is uh, is a famous example of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that 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 click that you're describing there's so there's there's apparently five primary clicks that get used mostly in African languages, which are some of the oldest languages uh, in humanity. Um, and the one the one that kind of is the most that sticks out the most is the one with like an open mouth, like a kind of sound that you kind of kind of like knock with a making an o shape and that is often spelled with an exclamation mark which also looks really cool when you see a word um there's the old i don't remember who the comedian was but like uh, this comedian telling a story about being at a casino in south africa and their dealer had a a name tag and it was exclamation mark b-i-l-e and so he had to ask like how's your name pronounced and it's like bile was his name it's like how do you yeah. yell that um <laughs> <laughs> well you get good at it if you speak it yeah you just like click really loud um but there I, are like eight million people that speak that language by the way <laughs> yeah right and so you think of it as some obscure thing because you're not familiar with it but they're actually more than speak dutch yeah <laughs> is that actually true I'm, <laughs> probably not quite uh, i believe i believe that is actually true <laughs> i like using dutch as an example because we all everyone in america and canada and stuff knows about dutch it's not true that dutch is but dutch dutch is spoken by like 23 million people but there are like a lot of languages that are spoken by way more people than dutch 
uh, and uh, and and we don't know about them. Like there's languages that in India that are spoken by 80 million people that you've never heard of. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's something that I've started to try to dig into in the last few years in my like doing lots of little bits of research on history or geography is like how incredibly disproportionate our attention is to other cultures and parts of the world based on whatever you know cultural like okay the, you know there's various things culturally for reasons that we think about the netherlands or dutch people or dutch culture or whatever when it's so small proportionally to you know other parts where there's literally 100 million cities in china that have 20 million people in them that you've never even heard of that you've never like heard that. the name of yeah yeah let alone yeah. know anything about um, like there's a language in india called telugu which I have a friend who that is her native language and 76 million people speak that language as their first language, which is like more than twice the population of Canada. Right. Dutch is 21 million. Yeah. Right. So, uh, uh, I wanted to make one uh, point on your voiced voiceless thing. Yes. Um, uh, it's a, a pretty core concept to linguistics. Sure. Um, and, uh, and you can see the voiceless versus voiced in like a lot of the common, uh, consonants we use in English. Hmm. Uh, where you know for example uh, the, the f sound is a voiceless sound but the v sound is a voice sound and they're the same place in the mouth right so the the difference between voiced and voiceless sounds has to do with how you say them but not where your tongue is if you just switch in between f and v, 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 v your mouth is almost doing nothing except your vocal cords coming on and off yeah exactly so that's how you get the difference between s and z or p and b or t and d so all of these sounds in english uh have to do with voice versus voiceless uh sounds and that's how we manage to make more sounds than otherwise uh we would be able to right and then apparently in chinese or at least some chinese um languages or dialects um the difference in between a voiced and a voiceless uh thing is not a different letter but it's like a variant on the letter like they'll put a uh, like in some ways of uh of of annotating things they'll just have like you know imagine if f and v it was like f and f with a cedilla or something like that right would be the indicator so then a speaker would very obviously know oh yeah i use my voice to make this because it's part of the alphabet <laughs> but to us yeah. we just assign a different letter and your brain just bins it as unrelated even though it's almost exactly the same thing right i mean you know chinese is a, a specifically like mandarin especially is a whole interesting uh, well of of information if you're not that familiar with it because as a tonal language there are like you know the same exact uh characters if you were to write it in uh, uh, our alphabet would be pronounced completely different ways depending on uh, the emphasis and whether you're moving upwards as you go or downwards. I think there's five different uh, tonal ways to pronounce the same letters. And that makes different meaning. It'd be completely different meanings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One last thing on the voiceless and the clicks um, is that apparently there are actually a couple uh, clicks in English <laughs> that I hadn't thought of. Um, and uh, one of them is the like most common one is when someone disapproves uh, and they like will be written as TSK often, but like that, yeah, is a, is a commonly it's like so reliably used across English that most people will understand and most people will use it in the same way as a as a tisk of disapproval. But it's a yeah, you know, and there's a couple there's like a little click that people will use to to get a horse to move. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. I've heard of that, um, which I can't do, but I recognize <laughs> yeah, I I from playing either. video games where you have horses <laughs> um, and hearing people around horses. There's a little horse click, which is different. It's one of those five click styles. Um, so I just find it interesting that it's even made its way. It's part of English too. Yeah. So for most of my uh, life, my mother was a working linguist. Um, oh, cool. Which is yeah, it's one of the reasons why I know some stuff about this. Um, and one of the classes she told me about taking in graduate school that always sounded like super fascinating to me was she took a class where they just learned every possible sound combination in every language everywhere. Huh. That was the point. And of it's the, exhaustible like that. Uh, I guess so. I mean, I, who knows if they, whatever they thought was the list in 19, whatever, um, may, maybe it wasn't the actual list. Although I think the, the there are not a lot of sort of unknown language i mean how would you know but <laughs> i don't know that i don't know that they think there's a lot of unknown languages but um yeah they so she had to learn how to do those various clicks she had to learn how to do the various tonal sounds she had to learn how to do all these things in all these different languages which is super interesting to me i think that'd be a really fun class yeah that sounds really cool yeah all right i've got one more if i can do two in a row i don't see why this not. is one this very it changes gears from something that's <laughs> internationally and fundamentally kind of 
part of humanity of language and how it's constructed to something that just annoys me <laughs> okay. uh, fun fact always good in north america at least it is very hard to buy a station wagon oh really yeah most people don't know no because most people don't try to buy a station wagon but i like them so are you but you must be here differentiating between a station wagon and a hatchback Oh yes, absolutely. A hatchback is hatchbacks are great, but when you have one or two kids, got a stroller, and you want to have some groceries, you want to have, you know, get get that loaded up there. Yeah. The hatchbacks, not big Most enough. of them are pretty sparse. Like some of the hatchbacks are shorter trunk trunk wise than like a compact uh, sedan, as far as loading stuff in the back. And you don't want a minivan or a SUV. No, uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> well, the SUVs are very popular. I mean, not for me, but SUVs are incredibly popular. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the one thing. So the uh, kind of like just to quick, very briefly, it will not take long. Overview all of the station wagons sure. for sale in North America. So under forty k, you have uh, the the VW Sport Wagon. Okay, um, which is the the Golf, like a long uh, VW Golf. Isn't there a Passat station wagon, or do they not make that anymore? Nope. No, just a VW Sport okay. Wagon. There's the Subaru Outback. Yeah, the classic. Yeah, classic uh, you know, utility uh, kind of uh, station wagon. And that's uh, that's both of them. So, I, I, so crossovers don't count for you? So crossover... Okay, so let me... I'll, I'll kind of describe what I, what I mean by a station wagon, which is also what generally the industry defines as a station wagon, right? It's a car with a long, long... Hat, like, it's like a hatchback... With a long hatch portion, with just longer that you could put stuff in yeah. that is you know more than a foot and a half deep, and there's some hatchbacks that have some pretty long butts, uh, but the crossovers, most of them that I and also some constraints that I sort of semi artificially put on is like I prefer a car that's fairly car sized, pretty low to the ground pretty uh easy to park um because you know at least in vancouver we're almost always parallel parking and often in relatively small spots and like having a larger car is not appealing and having i i suv thing i probably i i started to think about caving on the suv thing when we were last buying a car because um i was unsure if i wanted an suv or an outback or a a vw sport wagon which is the what i ended up going with i ended up going with the the golf wagon but the the suv thing that i was really disappointed in it was i'm like okay fine i guess i'll like start looking at some suvs in this like price range and size range and they didn't have as much storage as the wagons I expected them to have like way more. Like, how big do you want? Like, okay, so I put a note in. The, I put a note in our show notes. Uh, a link. I mean, uh, do you remember this car? This was the Chevrolet Celebrity. And the name isn't familiar. Let's take. Oh yeah, this is an old school station wagon. This, this yeah. is this is by far the biggest station wagon I've ever seen. Like it doesn't have wood paneling in the in the images <laughs> on Wikipedia, but it feels like it could. I'm sure it did at some point. This car w- is like a city block long. Yes, like, is that what you're looking for? No. Well, in in a, in, in a couple ways. One is that it's just like a bigger car in dimensions in general. Like I'm I'm looking at like VW Golf size cars, which is like you know pretty small car as far as just with a little bit more room in the butt um and one thing that particularly bothers me about a lot of these larger engine cars like this uh this chevrolet celebrity which we'll link um <laughs> that uh you know i mean 80s american cars are all kind of boat sized right yeah but uh the the engine compartment is very long which means that the total length for like parking and maneuvering for this car it's it, it completely unreasonable yeah it, it becomes unreasonable and unpleasant so your problem is that they they no longer sell the passat wagon in north america well, I mean, the Passat wagon... I- <laughs> because, no, it, I I spent a lot of college... My A good friend of mine in college had a Passat wagon, and so I spent a lot of time driving it. And that was a... You know, it's a little bit bigger than the car you're driving now, right? Yeah, I'm not sure... Yeah, maybe I, w- I would definitely would have looked at that. It's a so once you start getting into, I'm gonna click on build on price on Volkswagen Australia. So there, <laughs> there's <laughs> they get a sent over. Don't forget the there's a currency conversion issue. The 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 station wagon to be clear is available uh, everywhere else in the world, right? Everywhere else in the world, it's like right, right. I'm saying just not in the United States or in Canada. It, well, in the United States and Canada basically share they have very similar car sure. safety rules and import and export rules, and actually a lot of the cars are built partially in different countries um, because of NAFTA. Um, and so we end up with very, very similar and almost always exact same 
cars available in our countries. And everyone that I've talked to in the dealers or that are involved in the car industry will be like, why aren't you making more hatchbacks? Why aren't you making more uh, station wagons especially? And they say, oh, because uh, California doesn't like them. Like Californians find them distasteful, basically. Really? Um, yeah, so it's your fault. This is my fault? It's your... It's, you, why do you hate me? <laughs> well, I, there's many reasons I hate you individually. <laughs> um, yeah, this Passat wagon is kind of interesting. I'm pretty happy with the Golf. I don't feel like that I... The thing that actually I'm most awkward about the Golf about is the fact that I just don't have the emotional trust in the reliability of Volkswagen compared to a Japanese uh, brand. Volkswagen... I mean, German cars are pretty well-regarded for reliability no they're pretty well-regarded if you, if you stop the sentence at, before for reliability oh okay i think part of this obviously just to just so we're clear just so we're intellectually honest with the audience and you did mention this earlier on but i want to just kind of highlight it is that that we are in a certain price range as well because if you move up the the dollar count a little bit you get like the volvo xc70 and the audi all road there, there are a few more options yeah, uh, actually, and if you go, uh, BMW has a three series uh, station wagon. Mercedes has That's station hilarious. wagons. Who's buying that? Yeah, there's the Porsche Panamera. Um, there, yes, there's there. Although that, the Panamera is more of a, an SUV, I think, right? <sighs> it's kind of a. Ha- it's a hot hatch, as they say. It's not hot. It's not hot. It's not a hot hatch. I don't know what a hot hatch is. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. Okay, but clearly. Um, <laughs> Uh, a edge is a hatchback being a relatively yeah, small car sure. with a lift gate and for a trunk that has a more horsepower than needed to get around town oh. so it's good performance i would oh. like a hot hatch yeah. a, a golf r or a uh even a gti golf, golf gti or hot hatches which is basically like the little vw golf but like more go under the hood so my, my wife as we know from the first episode of this show drives an e-golf Yes, uh, yeah. which is also a a, um, a hot hatch of sorts, uh, and uh, that is a great car. Yeah, I would definitely consider that if <laughs> if it went anywhere. <laughs> well, so I would consider. Yeah, it's not about the maximum range makes me a little uncomfortable, but this thing of if you rent um, and you often rent in condos, uh, you don't know if you're going to be able to charge your car at your next home. Oh, yeah. That is definitely a problem, and I guess it hasn't. Vancouver hasn't become inundated with uh, uh, charging as an option in these, you know, uh, rental spots yet. No, and they're they're working on policies to make it so that when you build new um, condos, that they have to be outfitted not necessarily with chargers everywhere, but, but at they least have the, to the outlets. Uh, I don't know if they even need the outlets. They need the wiring such that the outlets oh. would not require you to to pull pull up all the concrete across the whole underground. Yeah, that's, that's smart. Right. So they just have to be wired. And then if it's like, okay, we're going to spend, I don't know, $500 a spot and add uh, electrical charging at each spot, then that's whatever. But if you're like, hey, I'm the one person with an electric car in this three-story parking garage under the building. Can you please run? <laughs> you all will do this for me. <laughs> yes. They will say, please get out of my office. Don't keep, don't keep this from me. I mean, you know, I had to install a, an outlet at my at my at my house uh, that I do not own, and it was you know it was it, it's a it's an expense. Yeah, and to get permits, mm-hmm. it was yeah exactly. It's kind of a big deal. Um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily mind. Like I would be open to maybe doing that if it was possible. Like I knew for sure it would be possible at future places we live. Um, something. Well, I mean, I mean again, they don't make an e golf wagon, which is what I want. I uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then also it's getting into the 40k plus range, which right. we could potentially justify. But like, no, it's an expensive car. Yeah, for yeah. the amount that I drive. Yeah, you're like a, a light city driver. Yeah, I mean, I take SkyTrain to work, so it's mostly about... Oh, you know, I envy you, my friend. Yeah, we have very different commuting situations. That's so the, true. Uh, the Model 3, I, I just kind of like browse the website occasionally just because it's one of those like... like yeah, it's a fascinating car. Um, and uh, on their website when you're like oh i'm curious so this is the the tesla for anyone i'm anyone who is not interested in cars at all has probably already skipped to the next chapter as we <laughs> informed them they could um but the tesla model 3 is like the new kind of baseline quote unquote everyman tesla that's in like the 40k ish range supposedly eventually supposedly um 
and uh, the uh, and this is uh, one of the two cars that Arik has. Um, and uh, went into <laughs> outing me on the show. Your, <laughs> you've talked about your Model Three on the show. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I have. I have. I have. But the reason that I find it funny this week was that I was on the website and I was pricing it out, and I was like, like, oh, what would I do? I would. I'd probably add this, and like, oh, I don't need this, and this is more expensive. Whenever pricing it out, and I'm like, oh, this is like pretty expensive because they don't the base base model isn't even for sale yet right um and so they price it i'm like oh this is pretty expensive and then i click the like see more and then i realized they've added in a sixty six hundred dollar projected fuel savings just off the price that's not really off the price it's just saying like oh the price that you that you quote unquote will pay includes the fact that we project you're going to save seven thousand dollars in gas um which is entertaining when i spend like probably fifteen dollars a month in gas like you think it'll be a while before I save that much. So, so I, was little, I was a little grumpy about that. So, yes, it is f- kind of like a running joke with uh, with Tesla, uh, people who follow Tesla or Tesla enthusiasts or whoever that like they've always included this this number in their um, in their cost, which is, I think, to most people's mind, ridiculous and a pretty transparent attempt to get their um, the number you're seeing down. But I, I will say that um for a long time, I also looked at that number and said, this is ludicrous. Uh, but then I uh, actually calculated how much gas I was spending to, because of my commute, which is, let's, you know, let's be very clear here. I am uh, beyond what they call a super commuter in uh, sure. in California. I, I, I drive something somewhere between uh, three and five hours a day for commuting. Um, and, but it, when I calculated uh, what I was paying in gas, uh, I am saving 75% uh, uh, of that number a month by switching. And in fact, um, over the course of six years, uh, would say, would save, uh, what is that? That's per week. That's per month. Uh, and then finally we do per year. Uh, that, okay. I did some math wrong somewhere, <laughs> but, but it's uh, a lot. You're saving your, it, it's actually a good financial it, it is a hugely advantageous financial trade-off for me because I was spending something like $400 a week on gas. Oh my God. Which is I, I joke that I spend $14 a month on gas. That's actually the amount that the teslanomics.co savings calculator. Based on how far you drive and stuff. Like based on that. how far I drive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually spent a bit of, I'm like, cause I wanted to kind of come up with this idea. Like maybe I should have a Tesla. I'm like, like, okay, how much do I drive? Well, it's like, well, you know, I only drive this much, but oh, occasionally I'll, I'll go to the store or maybe that three times a month. <laughs> I was like doing the math. I'm like, you know what? I really probably drive. Yeah. Maybe it's like 160, 170 You're gonna make me so miles sad. a month. Right? A month? <laughs> and oh, so I go into God. the calculator and so I go to like type that in and you can't type. You can only pick how many hundreds of miles. <laughs> And so you just have 100 and it just jumps to 200. And I'm like, okay, I spent all that time calculating. It doesn't I have owned care. this Tesla since the middle of September. And I was driving today and I looked at the thing. I have driven 10,300 miles. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's a good investment then. And in, in, yeah. in BC, actually, it's even like the, the price, because in California, your gas is subsidized, yes. but your, yeah. your electricity is expensive because right. it's still partially fossil fuel. Right. Um, electricity that you have whereas in in canada and bc at least it's the other way around in that our gas is like horribly not horribly but appropriately taxed a lot um but our uh electricity is all hydroelectric so it's a lot cheaper and so the actual the price benefit of getting an electric car Bigger. in bc is even better if you drive. yeah i i can sometimes charge uh at my work but uh, there are there has been a huge proliferation in the number of people driving electric cars and now it's basically impossible to find a spot sure. to charge so mostly i charge at home but this is what i'm saying even paying for two electric cars at home uh is a quarter of the cost of what i was spending in gas now i recognize that my situation is uh, like an outlier situation um which is also the only reason i own a tesla in the first place um my my uh requirements for a uh car when i was buying one was has to go in the carpool lane uh uh has to be some sort of green car because i care um but has to go in the carpool in uh and uh and has to have a significant amount of range because i i drive so far and that cuts out a ton of them and then uh uh, uh that was basically it and so it just doesn't yeah. it did not it doesn't it left very few options sure so just like my saying i want a station wagon it's like which of these two do you want Right, right, right. So I basically, I could choose between a. Uh, in the end, I guess I could. Cho- I could have chosen between a, a Tesla Model Three uh, and a Chevy Bolt. Um, <laughs> sure. And the, I don't know if you've driven a Chevy Bolt, but it is a uh, 
it's not to my liking. It's it's not as nice as the Tesla Model Three. It's not, not nice. Period. So yeah, yeah. yeah well, this ends car corner. That's my end car year. I but know. I find it kind of I don't know. We've it comes up from time to time. I do it find, does, find it, it kind of fascinating that this market thing where uh that what is popular in california which is not uh station wagons again sorry you should be especially because we live in a place with no snow yeah <laughs> like what what are these people i don't understand you know my my you know my when my wife moved here she was just like you know cars at the time they've they've grown bigger in europe as well also thanks to california um but uh, they were at the time you know much much smaller and she got here and she's like what is going on why do why does anyone need these giant cars and they they don't is the short answer when we went to your wedding um, yeah that was nice it was nice that was great uh Thanks. we rented a, a a car from whatever avis or enterprise or whatever that whoever whatever yeah. came up as a reasonable price on the website that told me where i'm renting a car from um <laughs> yeah. and it said and i said i wanted a compact car mm. um and they gave me this giant chevrolet whatever <laughs> suv that uh it handled better than i expected like if i expected it to feel really boaty like tilting as i turned uh but it still just felt very uh, kind of uncomfortable driving it's such a giant uh vehicle it does not feel very nimble or i don't know it doesn't very, and parking is not pleasant no i don't like suvs at all yeah I'm uh, as uh, as John Syracuse would say. I'm a fan of car shaped cars. I like I like car shaped cars with a you know with the hatch going all the way to the end of the. I, I do actually like hatchbacks as well, but I don't currently drive one. Yeah, now maybe we'll get Tesla to, and that's also the problem. Like you would be like, hey Tesla, how about you make this style of car? I'm like, hey Toyota or Honda, how about you make this style of car? Well, how about you export that style of car to Canada and America as opposed to just keeping them in Japan, Europe. <laughs> I quickly looked into what it would cost to import a no. uh, Japanese uh, no. station wagon. And it's like, oh, would you like to spend $12,000 to import your $18,000 car? It's like, maybe not. Let's not do that. 